0: chapter 1. Yes, I said 1. Yes, we will be in 2 soon, and we'll move at a different clip. Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to share this to begin our time together in God's Word. When Laura and I were dating, she surprised me one time with a very creative scavenger hunt. That took me all over to the many various uh, favorite spots that we had in Toledo, Ohio, the time where we lived and met and so on and so forth. And at the end of the hunt, if you will, there was a lovely dinner with my soon-to-be bride. Now that night could have gone horribly, terribly, if I didn't figure out the clues or if it revealed that i thought very little of our relationship to remember those key favorite places a scavenger hunt like that can be a risky thing have good news for us god has not sent us on a scavenger hunt the destination is clear The directions are detailed, you're holding them. The map is definitely in hand. This morning, as we look at the last two verses of Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at these verses in in the lens of understanding it being a vision for the church. Earlier, what year are we in now? 2020. Last year, last year, Going through the process of candidating and being interviewed and, and and the process that this church was going through from transitioning from Pastor Steve and his twenty-three years of faithful service here into a new season of life and ministry, as they were vetting and, and inquiring and asking of potential candidates that they would bring before the church. One of the things that I said in that process is just tried to reveal my heart for ministry, but my heart for ministry here as I was getting to know and learn more and more about the Trinity family, its story, its history, its place, and where it wants to go. And I shared with them, essentially, what I want to be able to preach today out of these two verses. A vision, a heart, a a, a pulse that beats for a people that would go about treasuring Christ through all of life. That this vision would be more about something that we would embrace and live for, and and long for, vision describes what we want to accomplish in the long run. When people use the word vision in terms of leading in an organization or in a church, it's used in the context to describe what we want to accomplish in the long run. And in the long run, my heart for us is that we would be a people that go about treasuring Christ through all of life. And as we go about treasuring Christ through all of life, we continue to grow up in Christ and we continue to reach out to others for Christ. In community, together, that we would be about building each other up toward Jesus. But also to those who are lost, who are hurting, who are wounded, who are wandering. That we would reach out to those and, and say, I know the way. I got the destination. I have the directions. We have it. It's Christ. So that's the hope. So let's read these last two verses in Colossians chapter 1. Him, Jesus, just so that we know who the him is, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his injury energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would just help us uh, to, to see here uh, the heart and philosophy of ministry that is laid out in these verses in the context of this incredible letter in the context of this your word that you have revealed to us and given to us so that we would be able to live after you you have given us this vision the destination is clear our map is in hand help us to see hear receive and believe god we pray we ask this in christ's name amen my hope is that we would be a church that embraces a vision that treasures christ through all of life And a church that treasures Christ through all of life, there's a number of things that we learn from these two verses. First is, it is a gospel proclaiming church. If we are to be a church going forward, in the long run, something that we want to aspire to, that we want to see more and more people treasuring Jesus, then that means that we need to be a church that is proclaiming Him. That we would be a gospel, good news, Jesus proclaiming church. That's not to say that we aren't. It's to say that we have to be. We have to be. It doesn't mean that we weren't. It means that we will be. So that we would go about being a gospel-proclaiming church. Secondly, a church that goes about treasuring Christ through all of life, if it's going to proclaim the gospel, and if our aim is to go christ word in our lives, then, then we would be a gospel-revealing church. That the content, context, contours, character, I'm trying to think of all the C's that I can think of, all of it would be marked with a revealing good news. It is revealing Jesus. Our transformed, transforming lives, would collectively together, would be a community of people that reveals good news that God uses in Nashua and beyond, in its surrounding regions, That we would be a gospel revealing church. And then, thirdly, as we see from verse 29, that we would know that if we are serious about being a church that goes about treasuring Christ through all of life, that we would be a gospel striving church. That this will be hard, it will take work. We roll up our sleeves, we depend on God, yes, but we are intentional, purposeful, doing it on purpose in the midst of the challenges, obstacles, opposition what have you, that we will face in this life, this side of glory. These are the things that just sort of mark my life. This is my heart for ministry. And this, these verses here are ones that I couldn't wait to get to. I know I took, I don't know how many months to get to them, but here we are. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So let's jump in. Let's be, let's think about this. A church that treasures Christ through all of life is a gospel proclaiming church. And what do I mean by that? It's a church that goes about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Okay? Go ahead and write that down if you take notes. Keeping the main thing, the main thing you know how important that is, how necessary that is, how crucial that is, and how easy it is to just shift off of the main thing ever so slightly? So many of you have probably kicked off your new year with some goals and aspirations, and we are 12 days into it, and many of you are probably discouraged about how those goals and aspirations have already sort of had some hiccups. It's very easy to get off of the main thing. It's very easy to sort of lose track of where we are. And so what I want to do is just, and I've been doing this and I want to continue to do this, I want us to just get a sense of the main thing. It is the overarching story of the Bible. The Bible that you have, the Bible that you hold, the Bible that you read, is not a fragmented thing containing historical documents of an era that you cannot relate to. Now, it certainly has many things within it that are very hard for us to understand contextually. It's hard to know what it would have been like to live you know, in 400 B.C. I, I get those things. But the Bible that you hold isn't fragmented, disjointed. It is actually one remarkable, incredible, unified story. There's an overarching story of the Bible. There is a main thing. And the overarching story of the Bible is God's purpose in history to bring about radical, redemptive reversal of sin. It is the unfolding. It is God progressively unfolding, unveiling His purpose through the pages of Scripture, through the promises and pictures of the Old Testament, pointing us forward to see its fulfillment It is God with a purpose, a plan, a promise that is progressively revealed in the pages of Scripture. And then God accomplishes this purpose in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If this is a one story book, and it is, there is one person at the center of that story. The climax of the story is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's what this is all driving to. He's the center of all that God is doing and will do and has done. He's the one who comes and does what God purposed to do. He fulfills what God promised to do. He is the hero who overcomes the opposition. He is the one who brings about the radical, redemptive reversal of sin in our lives. He's it. It's Jesus. And then not only that, God, the pages of Scripture continue to keep telling this one story. God takes what Christ has done, this accomplished work of overturning sin, death, and Satan, and He takes that accomplished work and He applies it in the lives of real people. You, me, nobodies in the span of human history. No one will remember us. But Jesus did. And he sent the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in our lives, giving us life so that when we hear good news, we respond with faith, trusting him. He hasn't sent us on a spiritual, moral scavenger hunt. And he's not sitting at a big fancy dinner table. I hope they find us. No, he has come. And he has done this work. And he has rescued us. And then he bursts into our lives. As menial or distracted or displaced as they may be. And he brings new life. This is the one story. He takes what Christ has done and he makes it real and alive in us. You want to know more on that? Read Ephesians 2. Read Ephesians 2. Know Ephesians 2 frontward and backward, upside down, inverted, all of the ways. Know that chapter. We were spiritually dead. We were walking, spiritually dead, walking zombies. And God made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been what? Saved. That is the central aim of this book. It is the central aim of history. God's purpose to bring about the redemptive reversal, of sin in our lives. So, when Paul here in Colossians pleading with these people, this church plant, one that, as we heard last week, for those who were with us, uh, Don Parsons shared, was w- getting sort of inundated with false doctrine, things to distract him off of the main thing. This church plant, he wanted to know, he says, Him we proclaim, is shorthand. It is a shorthand statement by Paul that he wants to have a philosophy of ministry that is all about what God is doing in redemptive history. It's a shorthand of like keeping the main thing the main thing. That Jesus is the center of the story because he is the fulfiller of God's promise. That as we read earlier in chapter 1, Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh to do what we could never do and overcome what we could never overcome And so much so, so much so is Jesus so supreme and so sufficient that if we had lives that were without Christ, we would be utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless. Because you and I are not supreme or sufficient for anything, let alone overcoming our sin, establishing righteousness before God. No. No, we need Christ. We need Christ to be the main thing. And so Paul's emphasis on the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done is to keep the main thing the main thing. Him we proclaim, keeping the main thing the main thing. The gospel proclaiming church, the one that is treasuring Christ through all of life, helps redirect lives to Jesus and then helps build them up in Christ because we don't have another main thing to offer. There's nothing else that we can offer anyone for the wounds in their heart from their own sin or the sin of others. There isn't anything that we can offer that person who is distracted and discouraged, chasing after empty things, expecting those things to, to define them, give them identity and meaning and purpose. But we have that in Christ. There's nothing that we can say to the hard-hearted person proud person who thinks they've got their life all in order and see very little need for God and what we say when we him we proclaim jesus is the most relevant message for the church in any age or stage of church's history because no other message can simultaneously convict the hearts of religious hypocrites And godless cynics. No other one can draw in weary, wounded, wandering souls. This is the main thing. And so when a church moves off the main thing, then it will be identified with lesser things, thereby making that a very weak church. No matter how many bells or whistles, crowds or people, The main thing is to be the main thing. And so as a church that goes about treasuring Christ through all of life, saying Christ is the main thing through all of the avenues, the ups and downs, the joys, the hard, everything of life, we have to be then a people who fight to never assume it. Fight to never assume the main thing. There is great danger that comes with assuming it. The problem with assuming... The gospel, the main thing, and not joyfully and passionately and consistently proclaiming it as this. When we begin to assume the gospel, when we begin to assume the main thing, it leads to hard hearts and loose living within the church. It leads to bad doctrine and bad practice. It leads to forgetfulness of the people who then begin to do what is right in their own eyes, and ultimately it leads to abandonment of God. That should scare us enough. But also this. Let's get rid of all the extreme ends of what this could lead to. To assume the gospel could lead to joyless, heartless, non-existent worship and service. And I want to promise you this. There is not a single person in here who is going to want any of that. You do not want to be in a church that is joyless, heartless, filled with non-existent worship and service. We have to fight to never assume it. So how do we go about not assuming it? How do we keep it centered to the content of our church, the character of our church, the culture of our church? Well, I'm going to give you three words. I've given these words to you, I want to say maybe three times since I've gotten here, four maybe. This will make it five. First thing is that we have to delight in it. How do we not assume it? How do we fight to never assume it? Well, we have to be a people who delight in it. I don't mean fake it. Don't hear that. We have to fight to delight in what God has done for us. It should be for every one of us here. I don't care if you're a 14-year-old who's bored out of his mind right now or an 84-year-old who doesn't have much of a mind left. I say that respectfully. I do. No, I mean that. Like, age happens. It's okay. No matter where we are, on that spectrum, no matter where we are, we have to fight to delight in what God has done for us. When we come together, when we gather together to do this this morning, there are going to be mornings where it's, it's, going to, it's just all going to be fall into place perfectly and there are going to be mornings in which it doesn't. And that's okay, because we're not here for function or performance. We're here to delight in the God who rescues sinners. He overcame our sin for us. So we fight to delight in Jesus, because we want to delight in what God has done. Second thing that we do to not assume it, is that we fight to declare it, that we make it known not just in the preaching, not just in the singing or the praying, but we make it known in our ABFs. We make it known in our life groups. We make it known in our smaller groups when we're sitting in a coffee shop. We make it known to each other. We build each other up, declaring to one another all that God has done for us and all that it means for us so that we can go about living out our lives for Him and through Him, and to Him, because He deserves all the glory. So we build each other up with great intentionality and purpose. It impacts the way that we approach things like ABF and life groups and other things so that what we're doing is keep fighting to keep the main thing and the main thing about our church. And then thirdly, we display it. We display it with a passion for others to know Jesus. We display it By making room for our church to pass on to the next generation a a joy in delighting declaring and displaying we make room for younger faces speaking it and singing it and praying it and teaching it and preaching it we make room for each other to be more intentional with one another so that we can be a people that is being transformed growing up in Christ and being revealing revealing out i'm getting into my second point already revealing out to others So that they would come to know Christ. And because here is something very urgent we have seen played out over the last 30 years of the church's presence within our Western culture. If one generation assumes the gospel, the next generation will forget it, and the third generation will replace it. If one generation assumes it, the next will forget it, and the third will replace it. In Europe, big, beautiful church buildings are condos and coffee shops, vacation destinations. Happening here, they're empty. The gospel has not bellowed through their halls in decades. We lose our footing, our place in a culture. We're never at the table to speak to what values should be because the trajectory of that was set when we began assuming the gospel. It is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous ground to not treat the main thing as the main thing. So when I think and operate in my head and my heart about ministry, when I say treasuring Christ for all of life, I'm thinking I am desperate to, to be a gospel-proclaiming pastor, I'm desperate to be a part of a gospel-proclaiming church because we are desperate, desperately in need of the main thing to be the main thing. And that leads us then to see the... Not only are we to be a gospel-proclaiming church, but we are to be a gospel-revealing church. Look back again. So not only does he say, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, urgency around all of this. Jesus is sufficient and supreme with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. A gospel-revealing church, first of all, shows off the character of Christ. It shows off the character of Christ. A gospel-revealing church shows off the character of Christ. So to present everyone mature in Christ means to help create a ministry context where people are, are growing up in Christ, that they are, at the end of their lives, are fully grown up in the sense that of the, they're just growing in Christ. It, it, it pictures the life in Christ as always growing up in Christ, meaning there's no arrival this side of glory, and there's always a need to keep growing. I've had the pleasure of meeting many of you, and some of you, dear saints, you dear beloved in Christ, your faith is so firm and so mature that God has seasoned you and worked in you over years, over decades of following him. As you shared stories of heartache or challenges or conflict that you're in now, but you share them from this place of a deep and mature faith, it's, it's so overwhelming and so encouraging. I long for that in my life. Gospel-revealing church shows off the character of Christ. It's attractive in itself. And that is what we, we need. We need to be a church where maturing in Christ happens. It happens in a gospel-revealing community. A community of people committed to growing up in Jesus together. Because the church is the context where the gospel is revealed through the lives of people that they grow up in Christ. And, and I want you to know that this is God's desire for you. This is God's purpose for you. You. God has a, a purpose for you. That you would grow up and reflect more and more of Jesus. Romans 8.29 Speaking of the mystery, sovereignty of God, but there's something incredibly clear to understand within the like big picture mystery of God's sovereignty. So the words say, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. So we could get lost in all of that, and, I, and those are for another day. I'm not avoiding that, but I, I want to emphasize what comes next in those words. Why is God operating in human history and in people's lives? So that we would be conformed. To the image of his son so that you and me our lives would look and smell and sound and feel like jesus that we would be an aroma of christ like like that would be the thing that would mark our lives that we would be conformed to the image of jesus or take second corinthians five fifteen, talking about the overflow of this reconciling re- rescuing work that god does in us What does it say? It says, He, Jesus, died for all. That those who live, get this, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. God's purpose and desire in your life is that you would begin to reflect Jesus more and that you would no longer live for yourself as if you were ultimate, but rather your life would then reflect how Jesus is ultimate. That's His hope for you. That's His desire, His plan, His purpose for you is to grow you up in Jesus. And we want to be a church where that's being revealed more and more and more. And as we grow up in Christ, we show off the character of Christ. I read a a good book last year called The Compelling Community. Pastors and authors, Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, they serve the same church. They state this about a gospel-revealing church. God has great purposes for the community of your church, of us, of Trinity, to safeguard the gospel, to transform lives and communities, to shine as a beacon of hope to the unconverted. Community that does this is demonstrably supernatural. This is something extraordinary. It is something outside of you working in you and through you. It is not community designed around the gospel plus some other bond of similarity. No. It is, simil- it is community that reveals the gospel. A healthy, thriving, growing church, no matter its amenities, no matter its numbers, a healthy, growing, thriving church shows off who God is. What a privilege. What a privilege that is. you hear that? Do you feel that? To be a place where we are seeing people mature in Christ whose lives, get this, sort of second aspect of a gospel-revealing church, whose lives are launched Christward. A place where people's lives are launched Christward. He is the aim, He is the target, He is the destination, He is the end. It's Jesus. Who Jesus is, is what our lives are, are to slowly reveal as we grow up in Him. And it's okay. Be encouraged, my friends. It is slow. It's okay. It's a whole lifetime. Second Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we with all, all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, literally one degree at a time, are being transformed into that which we behold through the gospel, that is Jesus. One degree at a time. Now, many of you in here um, want things to go a lot faster than that, right? And We live in a cultural pace that doesn't allow for one degree at a time, do we? Our society feels a little sort of chaotic compared to God's purposes for our lives over the lifetime. So a church as gospel revealing makes room for slow growth. Slow growth. Slow maturing. Maturing up in Christ. And also makes room to know that people are going to come in to the context of the church in different places and they're going to be coming in with different longings. I want you to picture this with me. Some of you in here are this age. So you don't have to picture it too hard. Some of you in here may have to dust off some things to get to it, but that's okay. Imagine yourself as a teenager, a young teen, trying to find his or her place in this world or maybe just in your school. Sort of that anxiety that, that is associated with it. And let's say that teenager that you're imagining or thinking about begins to adopt the characteristics of a group that he or she wants to belong to. Usually, we think of that sort of from a parental perspective. We think of it as the negative connotations about the various characteristics we don't want teenagers to begin to adopt. But think of it from the teenager perspective. Think about the amount of uncertainty in that heart. The amount of anxiety that that produces, the amount of vulnerability that that sort of squashes or uh, brings to, to bear. Think of all of that turmoil in that teenager heart. Will anyone accept me? Will I ever belong? Or maybe even just very basically, will I even have friends? Now, do you feel that? The gospel revealing community that is displaying and showing off the character of God, settles those anxieties and longings. To be in Christ is to have that settled. To know, yes, someone will accept you. Yes, you will belong. Yes, there will be things that will begin to sort of shape and mark your life. And guess what those things are going to be? The character of Jesus who has brought you in, who has rescued you, who calls you brother or sister, who says, you belong to me, and now you are safe. Your identity is wrapped up in me, and, my, and, and where I am, there you will be, and you will be there for all eternity. Now, that may take a whole lifetime to get the sense of that into our heads, into our hearts, but that's what comes in a community that is revealing the gospel and welcomes those who are weary and wounded the one sunday i don't have a bulletin i I walked by john and i didn't get one i'm sorry john wherever you are can i have that yes thank you thank you rosie i don't know if anybody reads it but i have it here i as i don't have one in my hand until now um on the front of this on the front of the bulletin it says this. It says it every week since I got here. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a Savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ. The ally of the broken. The defender of the weak. The redeemer of the guilty. The friend of sinners. Welcome. gospel-revealing community lives this out. And people come and get it and grow up in it. And it is a growing up. It is a maturing process. One that requires us to know, oh, you can have this back. I see some notes on it, so I don't want you to be robbed of that. No, I'm good now. I'm good now. The maturing process looks like this. What we know is to shape who we are and transform how we live. You can write that down if you want. What we know is to shape who we are and transform how we live. If there's a word that you even want to break it down even further, it's head, heart, and it's life. What we know, our head, is to shape who we are, our heart, and transform how we live our lives. Our heads, our aim together as a church is Jesus. And therefore, to have any sense of direction toward that aim, we need to believe rightly, believe wholeheartedly, believe worshipfully in our lives. And so we need to be taught and to build up and equipped to know God's Word. If the center of the Word that you hold is the person and work of Jesus Christ, fulfilling God's purposes for history, then we need to know it. And we need to be equipped in it, taught in it. We need to know it inside and out. We need to be able to like, identify the major themes through all of Scripture and how they're pointing us to Jesus and how He's the fulfiller of this. Our heads need to know the right things of God. And our heart, to mature, our heart, the aim of, the heart, is, of heart work is to dig out the roots in our hearts that produce the sin, the fruit of sin. And not only dig out the roots that produce the fruit of sin, but to cultivate the roots that follow in line with the fruit of the Spirit. So that means we need intentional, earnest, honest community and discipleship together. Doing heart work together. Because we all have hearts that have bad root systems that want to produce bad fruit. And because of the gospel, we are equipped with the tools, the necessary tools to dig down... And get to those roots and cultivate ones that produce more and more fruit in Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. And that leads us to think, maturing in our lives. (coughs) Excuse me. Moving from living for self to living for Christ. That we become outward. That we become more interconnected. That we become more... All in this together, equipped to grow, and then to help others do the same, that we move from living for self to living for Christ together, living out to one another's, living out on mission, cheering our student ministry when they come back from deep freeze with students whose hearts are now gripped with what they are, who they are in Christ, and wanting to live for them, and coming around them and saying, what can we do to help? It's rallying around our silver and gold group on Friday mornings that are joyfully gathering together to dig deep into the Word because they want to continue to mature in their faith. And we want to say, how can we help? What can we do to help you? Can we help you get there? Can we help you with anything? It is being a place where more and more of that happens. Outward and also interconnected. And all of this, this gospel proclaiming, this gospel revealing, it's going to be hard work. And so that leads us to the last thing, that we would be a gospel-striving church. As you look at verse 29, you can see it, you can feel it, you can hear it. You can hear it in Paul when he says this, for this I toil. Struggling, laboring, striving with all his energy, his being Jesus, that he powerfully works within me. Two things to say about a gospel-striving church. First is this. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Striving is a toiling, struggling, hard work. It's hard because of obstacles around and obstacles within. The nature of our hearts within wants to pull away from the things of God and grab the junk food of the world. It's easier that way, right? It takes time and planning and prep for a good meal, doesn't it? Or you could just Grubhub, right? I'm just going to go ahead and do that, get our lunch situated real quick. I mean, that's easier, right? doesn't necessarily mean that's healthier. It takes, it's, our hearts want to pull away from the things of God because it, it costs time and energy to dig into the Word and to share your life with others and to care about people who are lost. So there's something within us that wants to pull away from that. We have to do hard work in our own hearts. And then there are obstacles around us. There's all kinds of distractions and disappointments that produce in us discouragement and despair. And it's through all of life. There will be seasons for you, for many of us in here, where our physical health will become a barrier to the ways in which we can live this out together. There will be times in which our time doesn't exist. There's no margins in our lives. Because we're so pulled in a thousand different directions. There's all sorts of oppositions. And sometimes we're just sitting there staring at all the different streaming services. And we feel like we have to catch up. So we blow through that over a month and spend no time with anyone else. And we have all kinds of things around us. It's hard work to keep this gospel-proclaiming, gospel-revealing community in front of us. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to make much of Jesus. It's worth it to set our thoughts and affections on Him. It's worth it to live for Him. A gospel-proclaiming church that is grows into being a gospel-revealing church holds up a constant, compelling reminder of the worth so that we can be a gospel-striving church. It's been a number of years since I've seen the movie, and I saw it because it just was in that swing of like war movies. It was about—it was called Black Hawk Down. And at the end of this movie, this is a horribly long night. This band of people who were able to survive are running down this road, in in just war-torn town city, and 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 that scene has stuck with me. I don't remember the movie other than this scene, so don't go watching it because I don't remember it. So. But I want to borrow this scene. So There they are, and they're running. They're they're bloodied. They're exhausted. They haven't slept. They haven't had anything to eat or drink, and they've been running off of the fumes of the adrenaline just to live and survive the night. And they're running down this street bullet holes and explosions and collapsed buildings all around them. They're running and looking around, hoping that no more jump out at them. And they're running because they knew at the end of that road was where the American uh, sort of camp was, where there was safety, supplies, provisions, just the sense of being able to collapse and get a drink of water. And they were running with everything. They were striving with everything, totally exhausted. And that might be us. That image might be us, the church. But what's at the end of that road, no matter how war-torn it is around us, is Jesus. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror because of Him who conquered sin and Satan and death. So your striving is Worth it. Because at the end of that road is Jesus. Good news is. Second thing. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And it won't be by us, but through us. You get that encouragement there in verse 29? Oh, it's a toil. It's a struggle with all his energy That he powerfully works within me. Christ powerfully works through the church. So church, take courage and hope in Christ. Treasure him with me. Because Christ works in and through us to do it. He doesn't leave us to our strength and to our ingenuity and to what we can do. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. He will powerfully do it. You and I, we are not alone. The vision of the church is not set up like a scavenger hunt. We have a clear destination. It is Christ. We have crucial directions, the gospel. And we have an important community. We are traveling with the church. So may we be a church that takes joyfully and seriously treasuring Christ through all of life. And may that take a greater grip on who we are and what we do. God, we pray that these words would find a home in our hearts. That we would see the worth of Christ. That it would work mightily in us. And that we would long to live for him and no longer for ourselves. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.